श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय गौर भक्त वृंद की जय गौरेमानंदे गुड इवनिंग एवरीवन हैव अ मोर स्मॉलर इंटीमेट ग्रुप दिस इवनिंग नाइस टू बी विद यू इट्स ओके थैंक यू वार्म इवनिंग आल्सो So, um, I have the pleasure this evening of introducing you to my new friend and our architect for the project here, hmm, who we've been spending the afternoon with, and uh, she's been very generous with her services and. Her creativity and so forth, my friend, Anasuya Devi. Hmm? Hey. Anasuya Devi. She received that beautiful name, Anasuya. It's a very nice name. It's very makes uh, the name takes a very central place in one sense in our tradition. But she received. I'll talk about that. But she received the name from the esteemed Sri Ananda Murti, Ananda Murti Kijai. Ananda Murti is the founder of the uh, Ananda Marg mission. It's uh, many of you are older, like me and, and Anasuya, familiar with Ananda Marg over the years. I first a friend of mine took me to the Ananda Marg gathering meditation, maybe in 1969 or 1970, something like that, in Chicago. Where we, where I was introduced, she was a, 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 she and her boyfriend were full members of Anandamar for a couple of years. So they taught me a little bit about the teaching and Anandamar. Anandamurti is from West Bengal, like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, founder of our tradition, and um, very insightful person. Uh, a particular take on the, the tantric teachings of yoga and so forth, and he sought to have some type of, as I recall, interface with modernity and so forth, uh, make sense out of ancient tradition. He was a great scholar. So, um, yeah, he left the world in the 90s, right? 1990-something. He departed from the world in Andamurti? Yeah, yeah. So, of course, Ananda Marg means the path of Ananda. Ananda Murti means the form of Ananda. So, that's we're interested in that. In that. Hmm? The form of Ananda. And Anasuya, very nice name, as I say. It means really without envy. Hmm? It means without any envy. It is stated at the onset of the Bhagavad, the great uh, sequel to the Bhagavad Gita. Dharma projita kaita kutra paramu nirmat saranam satam nirmat saranam same idea that uh, this kind of life of service and bhakti it's for those who are without any envy that's a very unbecoming um, quality if you will in general and much much more so for those on the path of bhakti but envy has sometimes been uh, 
the, the, the explained as the inability to appreciate the good qualities in others. There are two insects that come to mind uh, that's often are often used to exemplify the point. There is the honeybee and the fly, so they have different centers of attention. Hmm? The honeybee goes towards the flower, which is beautiful and sweet and fragrant, and the fly goes towards the, usually the excrement of others if it can be found in the open. Hmm? So, uh, <laughs> we should be like the fly. I actually mean like the bee, <laughs> not like the fly. <laughs> Go and take a little honey here and there, and so for a little pollen here and there. Make honey with that. Hmm? But not like the fly, who, uh, uh, as I say, um, cannot tolerate the good qualities in others, and as, as such, has the tendency to turn the good qualities of others into faults, which is just the opposite of the power of love. So you see these are contrasting opposite, polar opposites, really, envy and and love. Hmm? Love has the power to turn faults into ornaments. Hmm? It is said that the mother called named her blind son Padmalochan, which means lotus eyes. So the eyes of a blind son are not particularly beautiful, hmm? but in the eyes of the mother, with her affection, she named the son Lotus Eyes, which means, oh, he has such beautiful eyes. Hmm? So her love was able to, by the strength of her love, she was able to turn faults into ornaments. Hmm? And on the other side, as I say, this envy, it turns uh, good qualities into bad qualities. In our tradition, you know the the story of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who was living in Jagannath Puri, and uh, seaside, famous town of India, where the largest um, Vishnu temple in the Indian subcontinent uh, is found. Jagannath means Jagat, the world, of, uh, and Nath, Lord of the universe. So many types of worship there are uh, accepted by him, <coughs> the deity in the temple. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was living there as a sannyasin, as a renunciate, and um, and the the measure of his uh, bairagya, his detachment. Hmm? This word bairagya, it has a very interesting um, position. Uh, overtly, bairagya means, as I say, detachment, and detachment is a corollary of jnana, or knowledge. If you have knowledge, in the real sense of the term, then you will be detached. That is to say that the appearance of things that we chase after and attach ourselves to, only to be disappointed when they disappear, as things are here today and gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. A wise person will not attach himself or herself to things that don't endure when in pursuit of enduring life and enduring happiness, which is the pursuit of everyone. Everyone wants to live and live happily ever after. So we cannot have that in relation to if our life and if our I, our sense of identity is tied to things that are 
we think are ours when nothing is ours, nothing is mine, and everything is here today and gone tomorrow, and really we're not a thing. We are, of course, consciousness, not matter. So, as I say, the corollary, if you will, of knowledge is detachment, and the Sanskrit word for detachment, one of them is bairagya. <clears throat> bairagya, this detachment is said to be one of the opulences of Bhagwan. This is from Parashuram's description. Bhagavan, it means for God, means God, means God. Bhagavan, who? Bhagavan possesses Bhagavan, all types of opulences, that by which others are attracted. We're attracted to fame, we're attracted to beauty, to a person who possesses knowledge, um, strength, um, and bairagya, detachment. If it's a person is very detached, aloof, the quiet boy <laughs> will attract the attention of some of the ladies. Hmm. Just to give a crude example, uh, and if we learn someone is living in the forest, standing on one foot only, eating only the leaves of the sacred basil on the Akadasi days, and so forth, we think we're going to meet him. It's a, it will attract people. So Bairagya is, is one of the six of these, Parashuram has mentioned, opulences. His idea was that who possesses all beauty, all knowledge, all wealth, if you will, uh, uh, and wealth of dharma, of righteousness, strength, knowledge, and renunciation, that person is all attractive. That is the, what the word Krishna means, of course. That is another word for Anandamurti. <laughs> Krishna, the, the form of... Hmm, Ananda, all attractive. So in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we find all these opulences. But in his sannyas, in his in his role as a as a teacher, and a renunciate, then this bairagya looms very large in his life. The measure of his detachment was such that he was only a twenty four year old boy when he took a renounced order, went to Puri, and many very senior, older gentlemen um, uh, who had been sannyasis for a long time. They were in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and so forth, practicing austerities and so forth. They were timid in his presence, um, given the measure of his detachment. It was made them feel a little embarrassed. So uh, he had the, the, the full measure, if you will, of this opulence of detachment, bairagya. But I want to say about the word that it has a peculiar uh, meaning that really applies with regard to our uh, tradition of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, which also draws much from the tantric uh, literature. And that means this, bairagya. By the prefix vai uh, indicates something like special. Hmm? And rag means the opposite of the ordinary meaning of bairagya, which means detachment. Hmm? Rag means attachment. Hmm? So in Gaudiya tradition, this word bairagya really means a special kind of attachment. Hmm? So what we mean by that is that the... that. In a sense, the best defense is the good offense, it is said. 
So bhakti is a school of love that has a positive uh, connotation. Hmm? To love God. Hmm? It's a, it implies giving. Hmm? And so when one gives and becomes attached to something spiritual, hmm, like God, hmm, hmm, then automatically that person will be detached from material life. So a special kind of attachment, ordinary attachment, we are to give up. Hmm? That is ignorance. It's the, it's the womb, the Gita says, from which suffering is born. Hmm? Yeah, what is that verse? It says that... Dukkha yonai arivate. Dukkha yonai. The yoni, the, the womb from which suffering is born. This is an attachment. Because, as you can understand, as I've said, well, you're attached to something, but you cannot keep it. Krishna says, sums up the material world in two words in the Gita when he says... Ashashvatam, what does he say? Dukkalayam Ashashvatam. He says it's really full of suffering. And if Arjuna was to reply, but I like it, it doesn't seem to make always be suffering to me, then he says, well, you cannot keep it. It is Ashashvatam. It's like I said here today and gone tomorrow. So now the thing you like is that much more a source of misery because you cannot keep it. Hmm? Problem. Hmm? So, ordinary attachment to things, appearances, that are not even what they appear to be. They're just an appearance, a subjective approximation hmm, of the external world, these things. To be detached from that, that is knowledge. But that is not easy to accomplish. But if you can attach yourself hmm, to, to Krishna, who's very attractive, hmm, through bhakti, and develop a special kind of attraction. Hmm? Hmm. This is what the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was about, a special kind of attraction to Krishna. It looks worldly, but it's it's not. And this is, this is a, another way of explaining the word bairagya, a special kind of attachment, and it will have a corresponding detachment from material life. So as I say, the best defense, if you want to defend yourself against the the call of the wild and the call of things and the, the 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 misconception that by acquiring I'll become more and fulfilled and so forth. If you want to defend against that kind of all of the sense objects call, taste me, hear me, see me, touch me, have me, but you can't. <laughs> uh, so uh, to defend against that, so to speak, the call of animality... We are humans, and we have an animal side, but we have a human, we're a human animal, so with the human life, consciousness is coming to the fore, like it doesn't to the same extent in animal life, and so there's the prospect that there's more in life than what meets the eye and the mind, more than what the senses offer, and so forth. So, to pursue that more that we are constituted of as a spark from the fire for example, that is Krishna, and to make a loving union there as our preoccupation, then this detachment from things comes about very natural, very easily. Hmm? And that kind of vairagya, detachment from things, 
this is it might appear to at first to sound uh, to have kind of a negative context but it's really the first step in one sense in loving so we make an effort to love and it will show up in this way hmm? make an effort to love wisely that is to love Krishna for example through bhakti then it will start to show up therefore jnanati ashubai ragyam jnanam chaira hoitukam vasudevi bhagavati bhakti yoga prayojita hmm? this bhakti is nice very nice jnanati ashubai ragyam jnanam cha very quickly ashu this detachment and the corollary knowledge will come in one who's practicing bhakti, who understands bhakti and applies themselves. And this detachment, you know, it's like even in psychology, in human psychology, we know we have to step back sometimes from a person, see them for what, for what they are, that they are their own self, not just something, an object, to make my life more, something like that. If we can step back and see them for, materially speaking, what they are, then we are in a situation to actually have a meaningful relationship with them. So, stepping back from the world, from the, what we think it might be by our perception through the senses, and looking at it from a scriptural uh, vantage point, then we can enter into it and be in the world, but not of it. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's his renunciation was like this. He was living in Puri, and chanting Krishna Nam, he fainted, passed out, wept in such a way that it was like a fountain bathing the people surrounding him. These are extraordinary stories of his um, ecstasy. And there, um, th- despite his overwhelmingly uh, obvious spirituality and qualities that were attracting even common people who are not interested in, in, in spiritual life. The town, the king of Puri, which was a very fortified kingdom, the Muslims couldn't enter there at the time, he became uh, overwhelmed by the presence of this young 24-year-old lad in his uh, in the town, in the whole town, practically. The whole of Jagannath Puri became the followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And his understanding of the Lord of the Universe, Jagannath, became the, the prevailing understanding of who, who the deity was. But this one fellow, hmm, Ram Chandra Puri was his name, hmm, he could not find anything good in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Not one good quality. Hmm. In fact, in this little stone room that he was living, hmm, when Ram Chandra Puri came near there, he saw some ants moving on the ground. And from this he concluded that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he's not really a renunciate. He's keeping many sweets and, and eating them all the time. Otherwise, why there are ants here? I mean, there are ants everywhere, uh, especially in India or other other tropical countries. Like in Costa Rica, we got not only 10 million ants, but 10,000 species of them. You've got them, right? Yeah, you were telling me you have an ant issue. Mm-hmm. So ants are running everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just seeing ants, his mind thought, found fault in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is an example of envy. <laughs> you can't find the good qualities in anyone and and turns the good qualities even into bad qualities. So this is not the good 
preoccupation. It's really, as I say, the antithesis of what we are about. Therefore, the great Srimad Bhagavatam, the sequel to the Gita, begins really with this this uh, stanza, Dharma Projitakaita Rotra Paramunyan Matsaranam Satam. Such books have, a, these sacred texts, They ha- traditionally they have an introduction, and part of the, it has certain elements in the introduction, um, in, in the sacred preface, if you will, and one of them is a um, explanation of what is the adhikar, what is the eligibility, who is eligible to enter into the text, read it, take advantage of it, and so forth. And they're written in such a way that only those who have the eligibility can actually understand the text. Hmm? Very interesting point. So, this is the statement of the Bhagavata. Bhagavat, with regard to eligibility, you cannot be envious. Nirmatsaranam satam. This is for satam. Um, it also means, satam means honest, truthful, for people who are truthful. Truthful means that I want the truth. Hmm? Truth means absolute truth. It is uh, really, if our good qualities are not in relation to the absolute, they are only shadows of such. Hmm? It is said by Prahlad in the Bhagavad, what does he say? He says, Yasyasti bhaktir bhagavati akinchana sarvairgunai statra samasate sarovharova bhaktasya he said, those who are great devotees of Krishna, yasyasti bhakti, bhagavati kitchen, who have bhakti, sarvairgunai statra samasate sura, they have all the good qualities of the gods and goddesses. Hmm? Krishna is thought to be Swayam Bhagavan, the Purna avatar. Hmm? So all the good qualities of all other manifestations of divinity are said to be in the fountainhead of divinity. Hmm? Who has bhakti for, for Krishna? Really, hmm? mature bhakti will have all the good qualities that are partially manifested in this goddess and that god and so on and so forth. Hmm? And by contrast, yasyasti bhakti bhagavati akinchana sarvairgunai stattar samasate sura harov abhaktasya kuto mahadguna who is abhakta, who has no bhakti, hmm? no devotion hmm? for God, hmm? that person rides manorata on a chariot of the mind only. In this small world of the mind of goods and bads and happies and sads that are relative only to, to my mind. Hmm? And at odds with yours. When my mind thinks it's good, you may think it's bad. I think it's happy, you think it's sad, you think it's hot, I think it's cold, so we're at odds with one another. In the small world of the mind, then, hmm, riding on the chariot of the mind, they said that person can have no good qualities. You'll think, well, wait, there are a lot of people in the world. Hmm? They are not. They have no bhakti, but they have some good qualities. Hmm? But the point that the Bhagavad is making is that they have only a shadow of good qualities, just like the honesty Amongst thieves, after robbing the bank, they get together and say, okay, now, divide it honestly. Hmm? So, <laughs> no, this is uh, a shadow only. And we are all hmm, thieves in a sense, without bhakti or without acknowledging the actual proprietor and the fact that nothing belongs to us. Hmm? 
the sense that we maintain as proprietors or that something belongs to us makes us out to be a thief. Hmm? So, Satam here, talking about the what qualifies one to understand that text, the Bhagavat, great text on Krishna Bhakti, on, on the Bhakti of Radha to Krishna, something like that. Satam, thoroughly honest, hmm? thoroughly honest, not only in the shadow of honesty, but thoroughly honest persons. Hmm? Thoroughly honest person means they are interested in the, the whole truth. Therefore, they listen for that. And when they hear a point that's raised in the company of sadhus, sadhusanga, and that point, as they say, hits home, you say, oh, that's true. Then they make that part of their life. Hmm? Not that you hear... You get an epiphany and think, yes, that's true. Hmm? And then you go away, but you don't apply it. And then you start to rationalize it away, and then you forget about that moment. To keep those moments, to turn those moments, to connect those moments, to live only from that moment to the next, when I had an epiphany in good company. Yes, I should do that. Yes, that pertains to me. Hmm? This is what we call, what Gita calls... Pariprashnena, hmm? proper inquiry, not just curiosity seeking to satisfy my intellect and be a slave to that, only to the dictates of my mind and intellect. Hmm? Collect some information in one ear, don't let it go out the other, but don't let it go down into the heart either, just regurgitate it and people think, oh, he knows something, she knows something. Hmm? And then praise you and live on, you live on the praise. This is not a good idea. It has to go down and you take the point in and then you change. Spiritual life is about changing. Hmm? After all, we want to be Anandamurti. <laughs> we want to be a form of bliss. We know. We got a lot of we gotta do we're doing something wrong. Hmm? <laughs> we have to change a little bit. Hmm? How close are we to that? And our hair is standing on end at every moment in ecstasy. Hmm? That we know. It to change a little bit, quite a bit. Hmm? It's a heart kind of surgery. So, when we hear the point, and at this point, yes, yeah, that's true. We have to make that part of our life. Then we build a real spiritual life. This is satam. Hmm? So, the verse says, this bhagwat, this, this kind of discourse, this is for those who are Free from envy and thoroughly honest. These two go together. Hmm? Free from envy. Very unbecoming. Hmm? Hmm. So there's a negative side and a positive. Free from envy and thoroughly honest. Hmm? But envy has no place, particularly in the circle of devotees who have good qualities, who are striving for such. Even they may have bad qualities, but they're in a shower. So if you're dirty but you're in the shower, you really can't complain about the person. Hmm? So the sadhakas, they're trying. Hmm? So if we're in their company and then we become envious within that company, that is becomes compounded, you understand? If you're envious of an ordinary person, that is bad enough. But if you're envious and find fault in those that are sacrificing and giving their life for spiritual progress, 
to the best of their ability, hmm, then that envy in, in that circle, as you see, it has no place. Because ordinary envy, that'll be a bad quality. That'll create some bad karma. But if you be, if you allow this envy to, to, to rule in the life of devotion in relation to other devotees, then you don't get bad karma as much as you get aparad. Aparad means aparad, aradha. Aradhana means worship. Aparad hmm? means against worship. So I want to say there are sins of the flesh, if you will, and sins of the soul. Hmm? So sins of the flesh mean like I have material desire, some lust, some greed, and these things are bad enough, but, but they're, so, they're small. They're superficial. Hmm? They pertain to my embodiment, my attachment to it, and so forth. It, it can; those things can be removed easily in comparison. You'll think it's been difficult for me to remove those things <laughs> in comparison to this. What I'm saying: if you make a sin of the soul, hmm? that means you go against the very spiritual path, the hand that feeds you. If you bite the hand that feeds you, then oh, we've got to execute him, they will say. Right? If you go to the park and you feed the animals and then one decides to kill you, then they, then they come and kill the animal. They should kill you too, probably, for, but for creating it. But anyway, if you bite the hand that feeds you, this is, this is more detrimental. So, ap-arad, it means, and radha is, of course, the personification of bhakti. Hmm? That's why she's called Radha. Hmm? Derives from the word Aradhana, worship. Hmm? So to go against Radha, if you will, to go against the worshippers, this means to commit sin of the soul, if you will. So that will carry on. That reaction will carry further and and you will be restrained, detained from attaining your ideal of prame until it, it runs its course, so to speak. So we're cautioned about this to avoid this, particularly. Therefore, the Bhagavatam said, this is not meant for... If people come with this envy, they should be satam, as the one thing. They should be thoroughly honest. And and anasuya, it means, it's another word where they should be nirmatsa, without any envy. Hmm? This is a beginning kind of qualification. Such persons can enter into the text and the meaning, the, the implications live within the leelas of Krishna. So, we're blessed to be to remember this idea on the basis of our esteemed guest and beautiful name that has been bestowed upon her, and I found her to be very much free from envy also. <laughs> very very um, generous also today. She gave me the contract for building the interim temple, which will turn into a library uh, for the monastics and the monastic cabins. And we are up on the top, staking out where they will be and so forth, and looking at the initial sketches. Now she will take it to the next level, level, and she gave me the contract. She said, I have the contract here. And I said, I'd like to see that. She said, do you want to see this page, right? So she's very intelligent also. She gave me the page with the price on that. 
<laughs> so she said, what do you think? Is that all right? I never had experience like that. Is it okay? Hmm? Is that, is that, do you feel okay with that? Are you comfortable with this? She told me. Hmm. Uh, so I looked at it and analyzed it from different angles, and I said, well, mm, like this would be better. (laughs) And she said, you're squeezing me, but that's all right. (laughs) So you should all give her a big hug (laughs) and squeeze her (laughs) with affection. She gave a very good um, price for her work. Really, she's practically doing it for for her costs, practically. So... We have many things to build here by the grace of Krishna, so hopefully we'll have long-standing relationship with, with Anasuya. And they have a community, uh, Ananda Marg people up, um, I guess, um, in the more mountainous regions north of Asheville. Mm-hmm. hundred acres there that they've developed the wellness center, and it's always filled, right, the wellness center? They have no trouble filling it up. For those of you who are interested in making a retreat here with a wellness center and so forth, it will be a good idea. There is certainly an audience for that. And I have a place around the corner here where I want to design a whole, um, well, a whole wellness center with um, saunas and this kind of thing. I'll have to show you. So anyway, uh, we are... Uh, look forward to, as I say, ongoing relationship. Very kind of you to come and sit with us this evening and be the inspiration for uh, a few words about bhakti. Any question? Yes. Um, when the, sata- the word satam in describing devotees as honest, um, you just said it's those who want truth, who are speaking the truth. I assume that it's also speaking about being personally honest in your dealings, whether it's in dealings or mundane dealings. So it's it's a comprehensive word, in other words, that a truth seeker and a a person who embodies honesty. Well, um, not entirely, necessarily. Um, In general, yes. But... Absolute truth and relative truth, they sometimes run on parallel lines. Hmm? But invariably, the absolute truth and the relative truth will part. Hmm? So in our own lives, there may be uh, some relative truth that I can pursue that will... Uh, not get in the way of my pursuing the absolute truth, might even facilitate it to some extent. But at some point, it may get in the way. Hmm? And then it will, I'll have to depart from that. And so there may be instances in which devotees depart from normal standards of truth for the sake of pursuing the absolute truth. It's possible. Hmm? Let's say, for example, you are walking down the street and you see a beautiful garden. It says, private, keep out. 
But you see the flower and your mind thinks, I would love to offer that to Krishna. So you steal it. <laughs> you might steal a flower to offer it to Krishna. Hmm? So you're not honest there. You broke the law. But there's. But meanwhile, you offered the flower to Krishna and the flower has benefited the person who had the house and so on and so forth. So, of course, you know, this is just a small example. It doesn't mean that we, we try to live life that's thoroughly honest and we follow the laws and so forth and in our dealings and so on and so forth. But there, the moral law, if you will, the law of this world is really a, a law of restraint to restrain us from becoming, well, like animals, if you will. Uh, it's like animal life is like wild, in a sense, and reason doesn't prevail there. Human life, we have reason, so the moral life within humanity is, like, is kind of like living in a cage. So if you were to take an animal, for example, a wild animal, put it in a cage for a while and feed it and calm it down and so forth, and then let it out, give it a little food, if, train it like that, and so forth. So the moral life is like that. It's like living in a cage, trying to train you to be a little civilized and wean you from the animality. Hmm? But that is not a spiritual attainment in and of itself, to be a moral person. Hmm? Um, indeed, too much attachment to the moral law may get in the way of of um, appreciating Krishna in particular. Krishna is also a thief. He steals butter and yogurt and things like that. Very misbehaved, it would seem. So, if our, the moral law is our is the is the sum and substance of our sense of spirituality, then we may reject Krishna. And think, what kind of what kind of God is that? But that you have to look a little deeper and understand what underlies what is lila and so forth. Hmm? Lila's God. If God owns everything, then He plays at stealing. Then what? You know, <laughs> what is it, what, what is the meaning of stealing on the part of someone who owns everything? Hmm? That is only play, and there has some purpose behind that. So, so there is some um, some difference, but generally, yes, devotees they should be honest in their dealings and so on and so forth. But take Yudhisthira for example in the Mahabharata. Hmm? And Krishna told him to to, to tell, a, tell a lie, I think, isn't it? Something like that. And he hesitated. And you know, you know the story. So, so there may be a place, but yeah, but uh, that is not a license for being dishonest in all your dealings, or something like that. In the name of that, that there are such exceptions. There may be extraordinary instances in which. Crossing over the moral law hmm, is the right thing to do, the relative concern for the absolute. So the strongest significance then is the calm is that with person searching after the absolute. Yeah. Yeah. Satam prasanga mamabiritam. Yeah, to be in the company. They said, to be in the company, satam prasanga. Hmm? In the sangha of those who are satam, and how is that characterized in the, in Bhagavad it said Satam Prasanga Mamavira Sambido. Those who are Satam, that Sangha, Mamavira Sambido, Krishna says, they are always speaking about my virtues. That's the company. Hmm? 
And because they're always speaking about my virtues, satam prasanga mamabhirasam bhido bhavanti karnarasayana kata. Their, their kata, their talk, hmm, which, comes, which rises up in their heart and begins to dance on their tongue, hmm, it enters into our ear. Hmm, and it acts as like a, like a rasayana. You know, rasayana? Rejuvenating potion, potent uh, uh, elixir or something like that. Hmm? Enters into the ear. Satam prasangam amabhirisambhido bhavanti hritkarna rasayana katha tadjoshana dashpapapargavartmani shradhadhir bhakti manukramishati. So, it enters into the heart and awakens faith and then we proceed from faith on to, to bhava step by step all by that company. So, satam prasanga, it means like that, to be in the company of those who are speaking, preoccupied with the absolute truth. Hmm. Another question? Yes, Agamohan? Um, Bhagavad Gita 1332, it um, speaks of the soul um, as being in the material body and under the influence of the material world, but the soul remains unthinkable. Um, when the soul leaves the body of death and goes on to its next life, we take with it karma. How does the soul remain untainted while still keeping karma connected to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, you have to understand that the Atma is categorically different than the body, the physical and the psychic dimensions of our experience. Hmm? Um, so they never mix just like oil and water don't mix if you pour oil on water on the river you know, not a good thing to do but uh, if you do then they'll flow but you can and that's what they do they come and they kind of scrape up the oil you're in an environmental disaster because the two don't mix so the atma hmm? consciousness which is doesn't have a biological basis which is um transnatural or supernatural it doesn't mix with matter but the matter has two two dimensions the gross dimension of the physical and then the psychic dimension hmm? so the psychic dimension the mind the antakarna if you will this is a very curious um, substance that has qualities like gross matter and qualities that are more kind of also like consciousness. Therefore, we also refer sometimes to the mental world as the subjective world. Unfortunately, the mental subjective world is filled with thoughts of the objective world. So it becomes pretty mundane. The idea is to fill it with thoughts of the spiritual and so forth. So, when the Atma leaves the body and takes another birth, right? Because it has not realized it's itself. The vehicle by which it goes from this gross body to another is the subtle body. So the subtle body and the, the, the mental, psychic dimension, if you will, it's retained. Hmm? The karma is retained there. Hmm? Really, the physical world kind of comes out of the psychic world for that matter. So, it's it, it, that's the vehicle. So that 
until the subtle body is con- consumed, for example, by bhakti, hmm, then one remains in the material world. When the subtle body is also um, meets its demise, so to speak, where the ego is found. Hmm? So the ego, the, the, the body may die. <laughs> That's a small thing. But the death of the ego, <laughs> Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he said that he told Sanatana Goswami was, was, had been traveling in the, in the jungle to come to meet Chaitanya at, at Puri. And he, he drank some contaminated water and open sores appeared on his body. And he knew that the last time he had seen Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that he had embraced him. And he thought, I'm going to Puri to see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but if he sees me, he may embrace me, but my body is so offensive, I don't want that to happen. So he thought, I'll throw myself under the wrath, under the chariot of Jagannath who, during the festival, where Jagannath comes out of the temple and is taken in the street and so forth. Uh, and he thought that would be a spiritual kind of suicide. But the omniscience of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu caused him to address Chit Sanat and said that, that 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 if I if I he said could attain Krishna just by suicide I would have killed myself a million times. That's a small thing. That's such a small thing. But to kill the ego, well, that's a big thing. That's not very easy. It's very persistent. Hmm? So that ego will stay. That takes us. That is the vehicle. But when we dis- when we dissolve that ahankar, that made up I ahankar, false ego, then then uh, and the self can fly as high as it desires through its sadhana in the sky of spiritual prospect. Does that help? Yeah. What else? Anything else? Yes. In uh, <clears throat> his commentary on the verse that you were discussing, when Srila Prabhupada dis- discusses the word nirmatsara, um, which is equivalent to anasuya, um, he makes he makes a point about how in, in the world everybody's always feeling this kind of envy because we're competing with each other for all kinds of resources. One person against another, one nation against another, one animal against another. Then he makes an assertion that when I read it 45 years ago, kind of changed, well, completely changed my life. He says, um, the transcendental uh, devotees of the Lord are not only free from envy, um, but they strive to create a competition-less society with God at the center. Um, when I read that, I realized right then what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I was just wondering if you could um, talk a little bit about that idea, what what that might look like. <laughs> no, you need special eyes to see it. <laughs> no, well, so I'll give you an example. Hmm. One time, Pujapad Sridhar Marsh told us that if you want to understand Vrindavan, the abode of Krishna, where love of Krishna is the center for everyone, he told us. Then go to the Howrah train station in Calcutta. You've been to Calcutta, right? The Howrah train station is like a pimple in the armpit of the world that, uh, that, that uh, Calcutta has sometimes been described as. It's a very 
very uh, not at a great place to be. Uh, it may have changed. I haven't been there in a few years, but but it's uh, you know it, it, anyway. So besides that, you know, it's full of people. India is a very populous place, a populated place, and so the train stops, and everybody just rushes to try to get in to the door, and it's it's everybody's for themselves, you know, to get in. So he said, if you want to understand Krishna's abode, go to the Howrah train station. And then imagine that the train pulls up, and instead of everybody doing what they do, they do just the opposite. And everybody says, you first. No, you first. Could, would you like to go first? And this is there's something like this would be the idea of a competitionless society. Hmm? Love means that I take your desires and I make them my own. So if we love one another, then your desires become mine, my desires become yours. There's no competition. Hmm? Then at the same time, there is a competition. Hmm? A competition to serve one another. Hmm? It, and to please Krishna. If, I, if, if you and I try to please Krishna, and we're competing to please Krishna, if you win... I also win because my objective is to please Krishna. So if I've acted in such a way in my service that you do greater service and please Krishna more, then I'm happy. Hmm? So there's a kind of a transcendental uh, competition as well, if you will. And that is very, um, very becoming, very desirable. No, you first. No, 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 you first. Something like that. So... Here in the material world, the problem is we have different centers. Everyone has to, it lives in the world of their mind, and so these centers are at, at odds with one another. And the spiritual life means one center. It doesn't matter how many people you have, if they're all focused, or how many entities, whatever, they're all focused on the same center, then you have uh, a kind of harmonious, competitionless society, if you will. Does that help? Sri Vrindamandam ki jai, Radha Madhava ki jai, God Premanande. So you have some prasad to serve up?